Hello. Today's podcast is brought to you by the lovely people at Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash story. Over 150,000 titles to choose from. Go for a ride with Audible. on a Davenport. One day the first chimp said to the other, We should make people. Hey folks and welcome back for episode 11 of the Ninth Story Podcast. We're going to start off today a little bit different. Mr. Weber has prepared a little reading for us today based upon a book in his collection that is also his Audible book recommendation for this week. As Victoria told you at the beginning of the show, we are sponsored by Audible today. And that means that you guys get a free audiobook download. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story. And you can get one of over 15,000 titles to enjoy on your mobile device, MP3 player, smartphone, computer, Hey, wherever it is that you are, you can listen to Audible. So without any further ado, Mr. Weber, if you want to go ahead and talk about your Audible book recommendation for today. I didn't want to miss an opportunity to talk about some of the crazy madcap insanity that was Sammy Hagar. (laughs) I think I told you before I had uh, Sammy Hagar. This is from Sammy Hagar's book, Red. Red. My Uncensored Life in Rock. R-E-D. Yeah. Red. Because Sammy's the red rocker. I don't know if you know that, Dan. I mean, I I'm, I'm I'm actually a fan of Sammy. I like Sammy. Sammy's, I like Sammy's stuff. And, and, and it's a it's a quality book. I like his it's bar. A, right. And, and this book is a good read. And this is actually, it's a good story. The Sammy Hagar story yeah. is a good story because it's a guy who really grew up without a pot to piss in. Yeah. And ended up, you know, working. Now, did Sammy write this? Well. Did he have a little help? <clears throat> Sammy Hagar with Joel Selvin. Ah, is that real small on the cover? Yeah, it's very small. <laughs> it's like teen. You're it right. See it's it? like look at that. It's like a footnote. And Seriously, it's, it's kind that. of it makes so it blends it in with is, everything. Right, it blends in with Cabo Wabo, Van Halen, Tequila, Can't Drive Fifty Five. Wow, that's Montrose. He, it's yeah. like if you could put his name on there any smaller. Right, there's probably legal reasons why it couldn't be any smaller than that. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, so I mean, it is a, it is a good book, and you know, as we you know, Loud Rock, Fast Cars, and Cabo. This is the life of Sammy Hagar. So, you know what's great, though? On the Dust Ruffle, th- these are the people who offer, you know, laudatory comments about Sammy's work of nonfiction. Michael Anthony, bass player in Van uh-huh. Halen and Chickenfoot. Uh, Ted Nugent. Oh, I like Ted. Kenny Chesney. 
uh-huh. country singer. I'll admit it. I've been a Sammy Hagar wannabe since I heard his voice on a Montrose album. <laughs> That's Kenny Chesney. Uh, nice. Jimmy Johnson, five-time NASCAR champion, who says, Sam's the man. Tequila, fast cars, rock and roll. Mike. Hey, you know what I like is tequila. <laughs> you get, and I, hey, <laughs> hey, Sammy Hagar, <sighs> my kind of guy. Toby Keith, who, you know, yeah. country rocker Toby Keith. Emerald Lagazzi. <laughs> nice. Now that's... that's Bam! Right. That one kind of throws me, but here's... A, Bam! Yeah. Over the many years I've known Sammy, his red rocker passion in music has always inspired me. But it's also his love of cooking great food and sharing a good bottle of wine Bam! that has been at rules. the core of our friendship for so long. Bam! And then the last one, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> No kidding. She, she haven't come out in blackface. I uh, see. Exactly. You know, that, I just wanted to see where you might take that one. <laughs> when she, just like when she was dating Sam, right? Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Yeah. This is a direct read from the book Red. Okay. Okay. I'm going to pick this up mid context, and it's kind of tough to follow along. Sammy, he has I'm something sorry. to say about the number nine. Right. He's, he believes that there is something about the number nine, there which is. is why we wanted to tie it back to the ninth story. I've always been a bit of a mathematician. Mm, I bet. A bit of a bit of a mathematician. I started reading and it tripped me out that if you add numbers up, you always come down to one number. You can take, say, one thirty seven point seven plus three is ten plus one, that's eleven. And that's two. See, now I'll stop there from the reading. And what he's oh. doing there is if you yeah, take if saying. you take right, if you take the seven and the three, that becomes ten. Yeah. One plus zero is one. Uh-huh. That's eleven. Yeah. The one and the one, add those, that's two. two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Numerology. Well, there you go. He's always been a bit of a mathematician. <laughs> that's 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 pretty sharp. Or, or I'm back to the the text. Or you can stop on the master numbers, 11, 22, 33, 44. Numerology is like astrology. It's just mathematical equations. I got that by thumbing through the book. Then I started getting deep into it. I'd add the numbers in my home address to see what it was as a one-digit number. Was it number 23? I discovered that if you add nine to anything, it disappears. (laughs) Nine plus one is ten. Back to one. Uh-huh. Nine plus seven is sixteen. Uh-huh. Or seven again. Uh-huh. Any number divisible by nine always comes back to nine. Three nines are twenty-seven. And seven plus two is nine. It will always come back to nine. Four times nine? Thirty-six. Thirty-six. Three plus six equals nine. Holy shit. He's a fucking genius. Whenever you add a nine to anything else, it disappears. Where'd the nine go? That intrigued the hell out of me. It drove me crazy. I went, okay, if you added 999 to 9,999, it's nine again. You could go around the block nine times with nines. It always adds up to nine. But if you add nine to anything else, it disappears. I not only read the entire book, but many others on the subject. I became a numerological nut. (laughs) 
To which I say, he's half right. <laughs> that was where I made the reference to. What book to is the, he referring to? I, oh, because um, I want to get this book. Oh, yeah, amen. Well, <clears throat> I don't think he ever comes out readers. and says. He was actually talking about a book that he found in a shed. Oh, there, there it was. <laughs> it wasn't even on the property, but next to the driveway, a dilapidated shed with a roof ready to collapse. One day, I decided to check it out and see what was inside. The door came off in my hands. Inside, there was nothing except for a dirty, fucked up trunk. I opened it. Was it in the old lock box? <laughs> it should have been a three lock box. See, that would have been great if it was. Nice drop in, Dan. That's that's perfect. I opened it, and the only thing in the trunk was a book on numerology. That's where he goes into the. I've always been a bit of a mathematician. So he never reveals the name of this book. He does not because it doesn't exist. You know, there's another section in this book where he talks about he talks about aliens. Yeah, because he's convinced that aliens came to see him a couple of times. Well, maybe they did. They were big fans of his music. (laughs) They were. Well, love walks in. Remember, some kind of alien looks for an opening. Simply pulls the string. Love comes walking in. As long as it's not looking for a my pretty. (laughs) That's right. As long as it's not looking to you know. Giddy up in an orifice, right? Right. Uh, so John anyway. Towers knows what we're talking about. Uh, that was disturbing. That was disturbing. I know John didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't create. No, it. I know he, he just found it somehow. What, what was he looking for? I- <laughs> <laughs> it just happened to pop up. There's a question for you. Did he go into a dirty shed? <laughs> he went into a dilapidated shed. The door came off in his hands, and all was, of a sudden, he found his pony. He was he was digging a hole. <laughs> He in was, somebody's yard. Wasn't he digging? Wasn't he digging that hole with Nelson Piles? He well, or Nelson, was it for Nelson? Well, it was for and with. Yeah, yeah. He was helping Nelson out. Were they looking for Stitch? Probably. They were looking for a leak. They wanted to seal the leak. Was that a euphemism? <laughs> Sounds like it does. It does. It's, it's an accidental. Euphemism. Yeah. So that's um, you know, Sammy. That was the that was the bit about nines that well, I told you about. And that I is think, an interesting. I mean, nine is an interesting number. It is mathematically for that reason. Sure. Plus, you know, the trick with the hands, right? I don't. Well, if okay, listeners, hold up your hands. Palms, okay. palms out. Left hand, right hand. You Left lick, hand, bend in your pinky. You lick your palms. You, you lick your palms. What you want to do is stick your finger. <laughs> Um, Stick your finger in my palm. <laughs> That's right. So you hold your, your hands out. Okay, so I'm going to do this in reverse since okay. I'm showing you. Um, you go one times nine. So one times nine is nine. Two times nine. Where you bend your finger is the, the breaker. So you have a one here, and then how many fingers over here? Eight. So there's 18, 27, 36, 45, 54, 63, 72, 81, 90. Number nine, number nine, number nine. And Sammy's right. It is all mathematical equations, man. <laughs> it's magic. It's magic. Numerology is like astrology. Not in the least bit. I was out there. <laughs> I found a shed, and in it was a demon. <laughs> I gave uh, Sammy Hagar his break in the music business. <laughs> See, you're getting better than me now. <laughs> picking it up. It's like you're absorbing. Uh, I, I, I'm taking all the magic you got. That's right. Number nine, number nine, number nine. It was all a dream, flashy lights and limousines before Wu-Tang had dropped green. Started as a team and then became crew. We formed the nation, my brother, me and you, J-N-C. We would represent, so focused, heaven sent. The chief rucker, I was the cut master. Routines was fly, 
and no DJs faster. Good chemistry, that's what it was. We took it to the streets, created a buzz. Tables got the JGQ and BC. Together we formed the vicious MCs. Battle after battle, we never lost. Damn, I remember cutting your first mic and mic stand. We practice hard, you maintain the flow. Don't take it personal, where did the love go? This is John from Red Horse Radio, and you're listening to Ninth Story. You go through a Walter White-esque uh, metamorphosis for, is it you, I mean, you love your craft. Say my name. <laughs> right. What, what is this, episode 15 now? <laughs> I think it's episode 26. 26. Welcome back, everybody. We're back from break with episode 26 today. <laughs> Guess what temperature it is outside right now? Outside the Ninth Story Studios? Yes, sir. What What is it, Dan? It is nine degrees Fahrenheit. Nine. It feels like 10 degrees Fahrenheit. See, how is that possible? <laughs> I don't Doesn't know it how usually you... go the other way? Like when it it's, feels warmer than it I, actually I mean, is. unless I get it like in the summer when there's humidity. Yeah. You know, like it's 85, but it feels like it's 99 because. Yeah. Ooh. Because nines. Because yeah, nines. Just, I've, been, con- I've just been conditioned now to just say nothing but nines. Sammy Hager is still on the brain, man. Well, once Sammy gets in there, it sticks with you. You can't get that stuff out of there. He's got a door that falls apart in his hands. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he's got, he's got powers, man. He's a mathematician, man. He, he ripped the door off a dilapidated shack <laughs> whose roof was ready to collapse. That's right. Well, speaking of mathematicians, that brings us to our topic for today. Yes, mathematicians. Exactly right. <laughs> Welcome to the Welcome, mathematician listeners. show. Boy, get ready. We're going to talk all about math. We're going to talk about nine and sixes and sevens and all kinds of things. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Fibonacci sequence. Yes, it's all uh, <laughs> Victoria will tell us it's all sixes and sevens, really. That's and, correct. And Absolutely. Then, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, but no, we uh, our, our topic today is authors, writers that had other careers and Lewis Carroll comes to mind because he was actually a mathematician. Have you ever read Alice in Wonderland? I have. Yeah. Do you mean the actual text, mm-hmm. not Disney's interpretation <laughs> yes. of it? Yeah. You see, you 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 say Disney with like such a disdain. I'm not a. If, if I'm the not listeners, if you, to if, dis- if you can see, by the way, we're in uh, the Ninth Story Studio West. Yes. And. Um, you notice I've adorned the Ninth Story Studio. Do you do you know the theme here? There's rules. Disney. That, right. If you're going to have a movie poster down here, it has to be something that is Disney. It was very nice that Disney bought Star Wars. Yeah, because otherwise... Otherwise, I couldn't bring those posters down. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I've got a couple of the... Where's your, where's your picture of Donald Dick? I mean, Donald Duck. <laughs> That's in the garage. <laughs> I've got an original movie. Poster. I saved that one for myself. I've got an original of Donald Dick. Wow, chicka, wow, wow. No correlation, right, right, right. to the Disney character. All right, yeah. All. So anyway, I'm sorry. Completely different character. So yeah, Lewis Carroll's original text because I never, I've never read it, and I've heard it referred to as a mathematical text. Yes, I mean, and that, that was without. I, I think when I first heard that. I didn't know that Carol really was a mathematician. Yeah, his real name is um, 
Charles Lutwidge Dodson. <laughs> that sounds like Charles Nelson <laughs> Riley. Dodge, Dodge. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you pronounce that. Dodson? D-O-D-G-S-O-N. I'm pretty good with the British that stuff. Was his, Do you want it, me to? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm sure. just kidding. That's a joke. Sure. I don't know. You know, I've all, I alienated everybody with my British We'll see accent. if we can get Victoria to say it. However she pronounces it is probably how you say it. That's probably true. He, he published several books on mathematics under his real name, including two books of Euclid, in 1860, Elementary Treatise on Determinants. Doesn't that sound fascinating? Examples in Arithmetic and Curiosa Mathematica, Part 1, A New Theory of Parallels. See, there's a, there's a great line from an episode of The West Wing way back in the day that if I was stranded on a desert island with this book, I would eat the book. <laughs> Use it to start a fire. Rather than read it, I would eat it. <laughs> That's a great idea. Those sound like books I would rather eat yes. than read. Or Les Stroud would probably eat them because I mean, he never gets oh, any real food. Oh, my goodness. That's, those are like, I mean, those got to be real page turners. <laughs> but, oh, can I read that book on Euclidean geometry? Yes, please. Doesn't Euclidean sound like a dirty it does. word? Doesn't you, it sound, no, it actually says two books of Euclid. Would you like to touch my Euclid? I know, but I'm assuming that you, yeah. when you say Euclidean geometry. No, no, this is the other Euclid. I know it's just happenstance that I wrote two books about Euclid, but yeah. this is not that guy. That's right. I know there's Euclidean geometry. This is a different Euclid altogether. <laughs> He was actually a, a deacon um, and a math teacher at Oxford. He's a bright fucking guy. Yeah. Um, Holy shit. He was deaf in one year. What happened to us as a people? I don't know. I mean, back in the... Seriously, you got a guy like... He's an author, a mathematician, mm -hmm. a, a deacon. Oh, and by the way, it was at Oxford. Yeah. It wasn't like he was, you know, down at CCAC. Here's something interesting. The pen name, Lewis Carroll, uh, is an anglicized... Let me help speak. you out. Yeah, help me out with that. Anglicized. Yeah, shape my mouth for me. Don't <laughs> move my tongue around. Make my mind up for me. Make my make my mouth move. <laughs> Way, hey now. Um, <laughs> Lewis is an dang. anglicized ver form of Leviticus. Yeah, Leviticus, which is Latin for Letwidge, while Carol is from Carolus, the Latin for Charles. So, yeah, I guess he took his... Who came his up with that name for him? Sammy Hagar? Doesn't that sound like something he would have backed into? It does. Well, Lewis, obviously, that's the translation of Leviticus, which is actually Lutwidge. <laughs> and then Carol, we all know that that came from the number nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's how I came up with it. He was a little bit of a mathematician. You know? <laughs> um, Lewis Carroll truly was a mathematician. Yes. So, so how did Lewis Carroll, well, how about mathematician this? that he was, how does he stumble into writing? Ready? Ready for this? I'm ready. When he died, four of his 13 personal diaries were He didn't destroyed. start writing until after he died? Yeah. 13 of his personal diaries were destroyed or lost. What's that leave? Nine. <laughs> yeah. The remaining four, I'm sorry, four of his 13 personal diaries were destroyed oh, or lost. Oh, it certainly does leave nine. Oh, the remaining enough. nine are oh. missing pages. Jesus, I'm tired of this Prompting the speculation into Carol's inner workings. How many pages were missing? Nine. Sorry. 18. 81. 81 pages, <laughs> which as we all know, adds 72? up to four. Yeah. I don't know, 63. Nine. They're all nines. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you add those pages into it, they disappear. <laughs> Man, isn't that freaky? Yes. 45 plus 9 is 54 is 63. Add all those numbers. They're all nines. 4 plus 5 is 9. 5 plus 4 is 9. <laughs> so you pose an interesting question. What happened to us as a culture that this guy could hold down a job as a professor of That's mathematics right. and publish books on mathematics and also write 
an entire series of books yeah. under a different pen name. You know why? No television. No, it, no, bra- no Breaking Bad. Right. There was no there was no Jesse going. Um, no Jesse. That's something else. That's Donald Dick. <laughs> what? You smell dick. No, I said that's Donald Dick. Oh, Donald Dick. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow, wow. <laughs> How did he become a writer? Or was he never a, was he never revered as a writer until after his death? Well, I don't know about that part. <laughs> after reading Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Queen Victoria, Hello. having loved the book, suggested that Carol dedicate his next book to her. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Write a book for me. Uh, so his next work, an elementary treatise on determinants, was presented to the queen, which sounds like a book of mathematics, not... She's probably like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I, love, to... I love your stories. <laughs> uh, I like your stories. I don't want a textbook on <laughs> mathematics. If you carry the nine. You boob. <laughs> so Carol first told the story of Alice on July 4th, 1862... Since Carol's copyright ended in 1907, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland has never gone out of print. So it's apparently still a popular book. It is. It has the Jabberwocky in it. You know the poem, it's the got, Jabberwocky? It's That's got tons the, of stuff in it. Yeah. It's, it's got, like, um, I know from the from the Book of Illusions, it's got Through the Looking Glass as a phrase from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Running the Red Queen's Race is a phrase from that. Jabberwocky mm-hmm. is also in there. I don't know whether this is true or not, but I, I heard that a lot of that was drug-inspired. Well, one would think. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. There's a lot of stuff in Alice in Wonderland that's a little cuckoo kooky. Yeah. And yeah. it's been a long time. Now, you asked me if I read the original text. I did. Yeah, but, but I was like 19, sure. 20 years old when I read it. And you were, you know, stoned when you did it. Probably. I know. Weren't you 19 or 20? Wasn't everybody. <laughs> Yeah, so what else, Who? What other authors you got there? Well, we got Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien. So what was what is what is Tolkien's... Uh, he was a linguist. A, a common, cunning linguist? He was a very cunning linguist. A master of many tongues. <laughs> yes. That's actually from Deep Purple's uh, Knocking at Your Back Door. <laughs> full of euphemisms. Yes. Uh, Tolkien was a scholar, obviously. He was a linguist. He created... The languages for Middle-earth, which are actually structured languages with grammar that actually make sense. Seriously? Because in language, we use certain words like the and ah and other words more commonly. And there's like a ratio or a mathematical formula that can be applied to that to tell whether what you're listening to is gibberish or a language. So like if you took a bunch of words and you mixed them up together or created your own words and just threw them on a page, you would be able to tell that it's it's gibberish. But if you take any language that's spoken on the planet and you put it in through this process, you can tell that it's a language because it hits certain percentages of certain words. And they've done this with What about Esperanto, the language that twins use? <laughs> I don't know. But I do know that it's been done on Elvish, and it tests as a language. Elvis? Elvish. Oh, Elvish. Yeah, Elvish Elvis. Oh. Uh, While he was at Oxford, he started a writing group called The Inklings. Isn't that clever? The Inklings. Yes. That's awesome. Inkling of an idea. That's fantastic. And they probably used ink because back then they were probably dipping their quills in the company ink, so to speak. (laughs) Which counted among its members C.S. Lewis okay. and Owen Barfield. 
I've never heard of Owen Barfield. I don't know I Owen to Barfield. Admit, but I do know who C.S. Lewis is. Yes, I believe we all do. It was also at Oxford while grading a paper that he spontaneously wrote a short line about a hobbit. Ah. Uh, created more than 100 drawings to support his narrative. Drawings. The Lord of the Rings series, partially inspired by ancient European myths, with its own set of maps, lore, and languages. So, I mean, when he created, I mean, that's one of the things that I always found fascinating about Tolkien is before he wrote the Lord of the Rings, he created languages, he created a history, he created races. So did George Lucas, before you start going kissing Tolkien's ass. I, there's, 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 <laughs> he didn't do it very well, there's, there's, but he did there's it. There's really no comparison. Oh, <laughs> poor George. I appreciate your effort, George. <laughs> Probably better than I could have done, but... Aww. Yeah. Frank Herbert did that. Well, there's people that speak Klingon and Vulcan, too. Oh, that's a fair point. Don't you think Frank, didn't, Frank Herbert, the Dune? Yeah. No, I mean, he kind of did that. Yeah. He, he did. I didn't realize that, but I think Herbert was probably derivative of Tolkien. I mean, he's a British guy and yeah. probably was like, oh, I can do this. I'll create my own little worlds. And well, you know, well, I can do that, too. <laughs> you know, what well, was J.R.? I can do the same thing. Who do you think you are? Why do you use... What's up with the two R's? <laughs> right. You got a stutter there, J.R.? <laughs> but yeah, so Tolkien was a professor and a linguist, and he had time to write... When did those books come out? The Fellowship of the Ring came out in 1954. Wow, I had no idea they were that old. Yeah. The, the, well, The Hobbit was um, written in 1937. It was published in 1937. Get out of here. Yeah. Fellowship of the Ring, I thought Peter Jackson just wrote those. Like <laughs> He's rewritten the, them. I thought he just did those like within the past 10 years. I'll tell you. I, I saw the second part of The Hobbit. Yeah. yeah it was all right. I wasn't. I wasn't real impressed with it. It's the greatest film of the year. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Someone someone convinced everybody of that. The Two Towers See? and The Return of the King were... How about this? Now, he published The Fellowship <coughs> of the Ring. Now, have you read these books? I've not. They're pretty thick. The Fellowship of the Ring was published in 1954. The Two Towers and The Return of the King followed in 1955. So they both were completed in, in or published in 1955. Yeah. Wow. To me, that's amazing. So not only is he a professor, a linguist. Was he a professor during all that time? Was he working? He re he retired from professional duties in 1959. So then he was still... Yes. He was active. Yes. Um, while he was... Wow, that is... That's something. You know... He, he's smart. Working at Oxford. He's That's a pretty prestigious position. Pretty... He's busy. Pretty good school. Yeah. He, yeah. He's busy. He's got some stuff going on. Not bad. But he has time to write a couple books three books in the space of just, a year. Do you want to go out tonight? No. Uh, I'm kinda, thinking about writing a book. But, but I kind of want to go well, out. <laughs> well, send me a letter if you decide you want to go out. I might. <laughs> send me a telegram. <laughs> send, me a te send me a letter in the I mail. I might. Anyway. anyway. That is, that's impressive. I mean, so just again, like, back to my earlier comment, I don't know what happened to us as a people. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, if somebody said, Craig, write an essay, it would take me six months to do it. And I'm not doing anything. It's rough. It is. I mean, I know because I'm editing all the shows and I'm also writing on the side and, and doing other things as well. It's, yeah. and, and I have a full-time job. And yeah, and it's not like you're teaching at Oxford. No. Almost. But. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
I kind of want to teach in Oxford. <laughs> but. But I want to finish my book. But I got this job that's really important. <laughs> I got to edit this damn podcast. Yeah. But I kind of want to go out. Yeah. I'm going to name some jobs these people had. Okay. And you tell me if you can think of who it was. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Creator of Apple. Oh, not that guy. Okay. So a certain writer worked at in the first Saab dealership in Cape Cod. Stephen King. Nope. Dean Koontz? Nope. The first Saab dealership in Cape Cod. Yes. Um, he sold cars in the 1950s. In his article titled, Have I Got a Car for You? He writes, I used to be the owner and manager of an automobile dealership in West Barnstable, Massachusetts. That's a Vonnegut, isn't it? Called, you are correct. Called Saab Cape Cod. It and I went out of business 33 years ago. The Saab, then as now, was a Swedish car, and I now believe my failure as a dealer so long ago explains what would otherwise remain a deep mystery. Why the Swedes have never given me a Nobel Prize for literature. <laughs> well, Vonnegut's one of my favorite authors of all time. He is. That guy That's was, why I think it's kind of cool that you guessed that. He's just, yeah. I think I knew that. I think there was something about the sob that connected there with um, some now, of the stuff that I've read of his over the years. This gentleman was a high school janitor before becoming... A well-published writer. Well, see, I thought you were going to give give me a bigger hint than that. He received an English degree from a certain university. <laughs> Oxford? <laughs> but couldn't find a teaching job after graduating, and therefore became a high school janitor instead. I'm sure, but I mean... His first book was published when he said... Or his first book was published, which he says was inspired during his time cleaning the girls' locker rooms. Wow. I don't know. Stephen King. Seriously? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, According to the businessinsider.com, first jobs of famous writers, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, uh, which is where I'm taking this from, that's um, exactly what he started out as, as a janitor. So he he, he was inspired by cleaning. Is that where he got the idea for like Carrie, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Like cleaning girls' locker rooms. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of pig blood around. Apparently. (laughs) A lot of uh, telekinetic women. (laughs) Probably just seeing how how girls were catty to each other. This gentleman, in 1941, he took a job to be the entertainment director on the HMS Kungsholm, a Swedish, here we go with the Swedes again, a Swedish luxury liner when there were few cruise lines due to World War II. It was during this time that he continued writing and even published a a few short stories. I don't know. J.D. Salinger. Oh, well, that was so... A catcher in the rye. Right, yeah. So does it say anything else about why he never did anything else after that? <laughs> <laughs> it's a one-hit wonder. Seriously. Seriously? He was yeah. on a cruise? He was a cruise director? He was uh, the entertainment or, director. He was Julie. He was Julie McCoy yeah, from the right. freaking Love Boat. That's what he... he I want to know who his Captain Steubing was. So he, he wrote, again, I surprise, Dan, I have this on my bookshelf. I own Catcher in the Rye. It was one of now those. you own Stitcher in the right, too. and I own Stitcher in the Rye. Congratulations! Right. That's I'm a gonna, dubious I'm privilege. Put them together, the Omnibus Edition, <laughs> Catcher and Stitcher in the Rye. Yeah, um, mine's on the hundred words that's long. That's though. allegedly, you know, allegedly, purportedly, rumor has it, generally revered as one of the greatest novels of our time. Inspired by a cruise director. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like 
Yeah, where does that come from? Yeah, that's amazing. So he was a cruise director. Man, that's crazy. <clears throat> Never knew that. This well, gentleman's <laughs> famous novel was inspired by his time testing LSD for a government-sponsored study. Mm. That's, um, I know that. That's, he, uh, he was involved with, and your conspiracy uh, nerve should be tingling here, your spider sense, your your conspiracy sense. This is the... Um, oh. he, he participated in a study called Project MK Ultra. It's uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You are correct. Yeah, it's Ken Casey. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's um. I knew that. That's the. Isn't there something about a, some electric Kool Aid or something that he? One of his books or some story that he did has something to do with. Yeah, I think it was so. big on the LSD and stuff like that. Whenever electric you say Kool Aid. Yeah. Uh, the study aimed to test whether truth serums or LSD actually worked for interrogations and psychological warfare. In an interview with Stanford Magazine, Casey says, "Not sci- Casey Kasem." Yeah, that you know that's Shaggy. Yes, I and thought. Robin. Yes, the same voice. Yes, the, the exactly cool, the same the, voice. The coolest was whenever it's like Scooby Doo meets Batman right. and Robin. <laughs> Zoik, Scoob. <laughs> hey, Batman. <laughs> the scientists didn't have any guts to do it themselves, so they hired students. Hey, we found this room. Would you please go inside and let us know what's going on in there? When we came back out, they took one look at us and said, "Whatever they do, don't let them go back in that room again." While working his night shifts in the mental hospital, Casey says he spent many nights talking to patients while high on LSD from participating in the study earlier in the day. So here he goes around talking to patients while he's tripping. I bet those patients made – he met Sammy Hagar there. It's no wonder that book and movie were kind of – Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They were kind of, you know – I don't know who this guy. I got to be honest with you. I don't know who this guy is. You know who Ken Casey is? No, no, no. I know who he is. The next guy was once a busboy, <laughs> assistant cook, launderer, and seaman sailing around Africa and Europe. What? What? He was. A, he was a what? <laughs> As a customer at the the Wardman Park Hotel in Washington D.C., the poet. Mm. Vashel Lindsay came across poems that were once written on his own napkin. They were so well written that Lindsay asked to meet the author in poems who happened to be, according to the Academy of American Poets, the former busboy quickly became known for his form of jazz poetry. And who is that? Langston Hughes. Oh, Langston Hughes. All right. You familiar with the work? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with Langston Hughes. Yeah, yeah. But I've never been a big... Langston, Langston Hughes is on... Um, well, he... I only know him because I found out who he was because... Remember Barnes & Noble used to have well-known authors on their bags? I think they still do. Yeah. And Langston Hughes was one of them. And I can't remember what his... What his big work of fiction is. Luckily, he was on a bag one day, so I know who <laughs> that's, he is. That's how I figured out who he is. It's like a guy on a milk box or a milk cart. Have you seen me? Right. Have because, you seen Do you know who I am? Because I'm a dick. I'm Langston Hughes, damn it. How about this guy? Uh, his meager salary as a writer forced him to take a position as a clerk at a port. Before he became famous for a well-known work... He struggled for years as a writer. Don't give it away. And had to take on a job as a waiter and gouger at Boston's Custom House. Gouger? That'd be gauger, wouldn't it? Gauger? Whatever gauger Wait. Oh, yeah, waiter and gauger. Okay. What did I say? Gouger? Gouger. (laughs) I could edit that to make myself sound smart, but I'm not going to. That's different altogether. Um, He's a gouger. He's a gouger. 
It sounds it's a euphemism for Jack the Ripper. That's right. He's a waiter and gouger. Jack. Uh, Boston's <laughs> bad boy Jack. Boston's Custom House, which was at the time a busy port. In his book, the well-known, aforementioned, well-known <laughs> work, he titled the introduction The Custom House. The Custom House. What yeah. is that from? That's from something. He's not a very good-looking man. Is the Custom House from... Is that from Scarlet Letter? You are correct. Give this man a prize. Who? That's Hawthorne. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Hawthorne, yeah. Yes. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah. Before he was known as an author and journalist, <coughs> this gentleman stole oysters from fishermen to resell. At the time, oysters from the West Coast were pricey and in high demand, which attracted people called oyster pirates to steal and resell these oysters. And this gentleman was one of them. The author of blank and blank has mentioned the term oyster pirate several times throughout his work. Oyster pirate. Yeah. Uh, this uh, one I actually knew based upon that. I don't know that one. What is what is that? Jack London. Really? Yeah. What was the work? What was the blank and blank? White Fang White and Fang Call, and the, Call Wild. the Wild. Yeah. Nah. Oyster pirate. Now this gentleman uh, once worked in a slaughterhouse, a convenience store, as a doorman, groundsman, roofer, and geophysicist. He's been nominated for several awards, including the Penn Hemingway Award. Is it um, me? <laughs> yes, it's you. But before a career in writing, he worked a lot of odd jobs. In his interview with the Days of Yore, he says, I worked as a geophysicist in Sumatra, then came home and roamed around for a few years. I worked in a slaughterhouse as a doorman in Beverly Hills. Very uplifting. As a roofer, I played in bands, worked in a convenience store, was a bar back at a dance club, worked as a groundsman, a little bit of everything, really. While I was farting around in this Kerouac phase, the oil business went bust, and my credentials, such as they were, got a little dusty. So by the end of this period, I had more or less dissipated my college degree. Wow. I don't know who that is. George Saunders, considered to be one of the preeminent short story writers of the day. Is that right? Yeah. What day? Our day. Oh, this day. This day. <laughs> this day and age. This day and age. Not days of yore. This winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature was once a mailman. Before fame from a certain work, this gentleman was a postmaster, which enabled him to read magazines that he delivered. Uh -huh. What kind of magazines? Mm. <laughs> Is it cigarette smoking? It's CGB Skinner. And he was apparently not very good at his job, losing mail and spending his shifts playing Mahjong and sometimes going on a round of golf, according to a piece in the marketplace. Not a very good mailman. I'm going to go play some golf, some Mahjong. Neither rain Lose nor snow nor sleet nor golf or mahjong well, shall keep me from my appointed rounds. Mahjong and golf well, but the, the others won't. Yeah. I don't know. William Faulkner. Get out of here. Yeah. He wasn't a very good mailman, but he was a good writer. He's a great writer. He's a drunk. Um, but who isn't? To pursue her dreams of becoming a writer... This lady worked as a ticket agent for Eastern Airlines and the British Overseas Air Corp in New York City for eight years before quitting her job to focus on writing. Four years later, she published a certain book and in 1961 won a Pulitzer Prize for the novel. Oh, what a hoity-toity. So she she went from... She's she a smoker. 
She worked at a ticket. She was a she worked at ticket an airline agent for ticket Eastern agent. Airlines, Eastern Airlines, and the British Overseas Air Corp. B O A C. From oh, the Beatles, from back in the USSR, flew in from Miami Beach. B O A C. Yeah, nice. Man, I had a dreadful flight. Yeah, probably because of this lady. Probably she was, she was writing instead of getting them the proper tickets. A proper ticket. Well, let's wrap you through. I couldn't even get a proper ticket back from Miami. I don't know. Where are you going to sit, George? I guess on the wing. <laughs> Why? I'm tired. <laughs> and that lady didn't take me in. It didn't get me a proper ticket. I kind of want to sit on the wing. But. But. That lady at the ticket counter didn't get me a proper ticket. Cause One was, of her characters is a, she's just scouting around for things. She's working on a novel. Because she's going to be a paperback writer. Yes. I don't know. Harper Lee. Oh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Did she ever do anything else? I don't know. This, see, that's the thing. Like, People write the great American novel, yes. and then they don't do anything else after it. This is you know true. what I mean. Like if you if you go through all of these writers that we've talked about, not many of them have, with the exception of Tolkien, obviously, and Vonnegut. Yeah. Um, and well, Stephen King. Are, yeah, some of them are prolific. But I mean, I, you know what they have over me and you? They fucking got a book out there. And you don't need to rub that in. <laughs> that was the last maybe, episode. Maybe I do. <laughs> so so, so you light a fire under my ass? Is that what you do? Our own, our, hey, under both of our asses. Why don't you sit, stop being so fucking judgmental of these people, why asshole? Why don't you stop writing your write, stuff just for you and right, start writing it for everyone else? It's your own book. Well, you know what I need to do? I need to work in a slaughterhouse. Yeah. That seems to be the pathway to- uh, Didn't you work in a slaughterhouse? Who was it that worked in the slaughterhouse? Uh, Vonnegut? No. Um, With Faulkner? Was it, no, it wasn't Faulkner. Uh, or was it Faulkner? No, no, Saunders, George Saunders. Sa- so Saunders yeah. worked in a slaughterhouse, and so did um, Upton Sinclair. Yeah, and in the later days of our former employer, <coughs> you worked in a slaughterhouse too. It's a fair point. I, I guess I just take that. I did work in a slaughterhouse. It certainly was. It's one time. I am the slaughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I don't, the slaughterer. I don't work in a slaughterhouse. I am the slaughter. I am the slaughterer. I don't say that with any pride. Yeah. Well, sucked. Anyway. And, and that entity doesn't exist anymore, so I guess we can say whatever we want without fear of legal repercussion, correct? They can go fuck themselves. <laughs> anyway. Slaughterhouse. You got me on that one. That's good. Is that true? I mean, if, if, if a company goes out of business, I mean, is there really anybody around anymore to... Yeah, there should be. I mean, for like defamation of character or whatever. Well, you can't, you can't defame, you can't defame something that doesn't exist. You, yeah, it's in in uh, in in my opinion, <laughs> in in my personal opinion, and not the opinion of the Ninth Story Podcast. That place was not one of the best places at the end. It wasn't, which was sad because when I first started working terrible. there, it was a delightful place to really, work. It was a lot of fun. It was. It, there was a real spirit of camaraderie and family. But that went away. That's, that's what died. Yeah, that's what was, that was what was sad. It was a good story. Everybody always told me, Greg, you should write the book. You should. We should. We should, we we should write, write a book. The, we should. Thinly veiled. Yeah, we should write a great metaphor. <laughs> a great, you know. So, this gentleman was once a plumber. In his piece in the New York Times, he writes, Then, during the summer of my 16th year. Ready? Then, during the summer of my 16th year... It was a very good year. It was. 
I found a job with a plumbing contractor. I crawled under houses into the cramped darkness with a shovel to somehow find the buried pipes, boxes full of books on numerology, and <laughs> dig until I found the problem, then crawl back out and report what I had found. I would do this nine times a day. <laughs> I vowed to get a desk job. I'd never drawn inspiration from that miserable work. My father worked with heavy construction equipment, and through a friend of his, I got a job the next summer on a highway asphalt crew. Same thing as working a desk job, I guess. It was during college that this gentleman decided he wanted to become something else. And his best-selling novels are based on his experience. But you're not giving me anything there. Kid, throw me a bone. It was during college that this gentleman decided he wanted to become a lawyer. Oh, all right. And that's a giveaway. Best-selling novels are biased. Yes. They're based biased, yeah. based from his experience in <laughs> That's law. John Grisham, isn't it? That is correct. Yeah. I, I see why you withheld lawyer. <laughs> that's the giveaway. I was like, there's nothing yeah. really that I can give you here <laughs> other than the buried pipes. Um, it, was during a it was during college. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, where am I going here? Okay, here we go. This gentleman worked a lot of odd jobs before winning four... Pulitzer Prizes for poetry. He was one of America's most popular poets. He helped his mother teach at her school, delivered newspapers, and worked in a factory as a light bulb filament changer. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, that's, that's not so fascinating. Oh, my God. You know, the, the, the thing that's great about this is, like, this is this is reaffirming for me. It's like, man, these guys had some sh I think, I, you know, I hate my job. Yeah. These guys had some shit jobs. I mean, a light bulb filament changer? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Well, you know, Stephen King also worked in a um, uh, a laundry, like an industrial laundry. Oh, boy. And they had rats all throughout there. And a lot of his... I'm sure that inspired him. Well, yeah, the night shift, a lot of the stories from there oh, all right. came from his experience there. Yeah. Is that the rest of that? Robert Did Frost. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. And there's not much on him. I, that's that's a pretty. <laughs> I guess I, I I probably could have guessed that. I mean, when you say American poets, yeah, for probably going to guess prizes. Yeah, probably going to take a shot at that one. After his father was arrested, this gentleman was sent to work in a shoe polish factory. Shoe polish. He's known for literature masterpieces such as I can't tell you, <laughs> but before the great before the great writing. This gentleman had to work in a shoe polish factory at the age of 12 to help pay off a debt to get his father out of jail. Jeez. Debtor's prisons. Wow. I don't know. Most recently, a gentleman by the name of Neil Gaiman read some work by this gentleman dressed as this gentleman. Seriously? Yeah. Poe? Charles Dickens. Dickens. Oh, sure. He just recently did uh, <clears throat> a Christmas Carol, complete with the beard and the Victorian oh, did he really? outfit. Yeah, there's some pictures of. Uh, if you go to Neil's blog, um, Neil's journal, yeah, um, he has some pictures posted of himself in this Victorian garb. Did he read it all by himself, or did he have helpers? I think he read it all read. by himself. Yeah, he did it all yeah. by himself. A Christmas Carol, yeah. correct? That's correct. Yes. All right. Figgy pudding. <laughs> Figgy pudding, right. So 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 what does that tell us, Dan? What should we what should we and other aspiring authors draw from this? That there's that time to do it. And this is the same thing Nelson said when I interviewed him. If you want to write, it's fair then point. you do it. You yeah. get up at four thirty. What time do you need to get up for work? Six o'clock? Then get up at four thirty and write. Give your I mean, even if you get up and you give yourself an hour a day. Yeah. Um, 
there's time. You have to make the time for it if it's something that's important to you. These guys did it while holding down some yeah, some really shitty some shit jobs, really shitty full time jobs, and others some very laudable, very intense. Well, yeah, I mean the the Carol and Tolkien. I mean uh-huh. the guys who taught at Oxford. Obviously, that's and and that's actually more. You know, th- those kind of lend themselves. You you can kind of you know like you can you can be a, a teacher and be in your office, right? Because probably you you have class and then you go back to your office. You have class. You have an assistant, right? And you have the, you, and you, you could do that. Carol could do that. Plus, and, you're and, brilliant. And like I said. Um, Grisham, I always knew that story about how I think it was when he was he was either clerking or it was during his first year of he had just gotten out of law school. He was writing to, t- to take the bar or something. That was when he wrote the firm. Yeah, you know, but th- but it's it's conducive. You're in an office. Mm-hmm. If there's there's stuff around. Um, <laughs> it's not very easy to 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 write while you're you know cleaning pipes underneath a house or working right. in a slaughterhouse or you know maybe working on a road crew or working as a geophysicist. It's interesting to me, like what <clears throat> what makes the difference between a want to be or a would be writer and a writer? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because all of these guys mm-hmm. had stars in their eyes to to mm-hmm. be a writer, wanted to do it, mm-hmm. and I guess that's the difference. They just whatever situation they had created this drive and this passion to to make it happen. Because yeah. um, it's real easy to talk about wanting to write and being a writer and you know bitch and moan about uh you know that's uh, what i do yeah yeah that's why i do that to some extent too but this was you know starting the podcast was my big push to myself to to start getting content out there sure um building an audience yeah that too yeah well that helps yeah it does help to have people that want to listen to you and want to hear your stuff yeah i mean you know i Absolutely, it's the old. It's it's. I think I've used it a couple times with you. It's the old Pink Floyd quote: "You you got to get an album out. You owe to the people. They're so happy they could hardly shout." It's the, <coughs> you know, what they had from, uh, what's that from? Have a cigar. I think that's from yeah. Have a cigar from yeah. from Wish You Were Here, yeah. which was you know three years after Dark Side of the Moon, which was wildly successful. And then the band was kind of like, "Well, fuck, where do we go from here?" Yeah. You know. But that was the thing. It's like, well, we got to keep writing. You got to keep doing stuff. You know, that's the whole thing. You can't take three years yeah. off and rest on your laurels of what you did a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's what I mean by about the if you sometimes it helps um, to have an audience out there that's mm-hmm. kind of pushing you to do stuff, right? Or even just have a circle of friends that's pushing you to do stuff. I mean, that's why I like doing this with you. I mean, it, it helps me be. It, it does help light a fire, and I need all the help in the world I can get sometimes lighting a fire. And it's a great creative outlet, too. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Make people listen to you. Right, right. Talk. Right. And talk. Yeah, and, and they talk. can disagree all the time. That's right. Yeah. We like that. We like people who disagree with us. We do. We do. So that's why we're going to go to a break now. Okay. Okay. Do you really want to? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I well, kind of want to just keep talking. I kind of want to just keep talking, but... Well, I'm sure people are kind of bored. If you decide to stop talking, let me know. Send okay. me a text and tell me we're going to go to a break. Okay. You just keep talking. I'll just <laughs> play the music right over top of you. It doesn't matter. Wouldn't be the first time. No. Or the last. All right. Let's go. Let's okay. go to break. Talk about your girls, but you ought to see mine. She ain't so good looking, but she dress so fine. She's long, she's tall, she's a handsome queen. She's got ways like a mowing machine. 
She's a humdum dinger from Dingersville. Do watch her strut her stuff. I took her to church in my hometown. Preacher got hot and throwed his Bible down. Says I've been a preaching long, long time. Deacon, get yours, boys, I got mine. She's a humdum danger from Dingersville. Do watch her strut her stuff. And we're back. That was a quick break. That was. It's it's been a while uh, since we did a uh, use your use illusion. your illusion. Use your illusion. And for the kids at home, that's illusion with, 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 with an, an A. a. I'm not going to give anything away, but I'll have to make certain references to certain things. Yes. But this is the episode where Hank and Agent Gomez. Yes. And Jesse. Yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Where they trick Walt into going out into the desert to where he buried the money. And then, as you know, after that. Suddenly. <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> oh, hell, bro, <laughs> Yeah, so if we can go back to Elmore Leonard. Um, the name of that episode is Ozymandias. Hmm. And watching the uh, Talking Bad, Vince Gilligan was on there. And he actually made reference to. The Skipper. <laughs> no uh, that's funny though um, he made reference to Ozymandias and I was like oh what the he, but he made reference what to the it fuck was, is like, that? Right. but he made reference Love to it. it like well obviously you're a moron if you don't know what Ozymandias is <laughs> obviously I am you know so so anyway so I, I was I was going to look it up back then but I never did and I will tell you what Ozymandian means in terms of the illusion Okay. And it makes sense now in the context of that episode. And it also makes sense in the context of what Breaking Bad was and what Walt's empire became. Hmm. So so stick with me, Dan, and, 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 and listeners abroad. So we go the, 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 the strict definition is something huge or grandiose but ultimately devoid of meaning. Hmm. An ironic commentary on the fleeting nature of power and the enduring power of human egotism. Ozymandias is a sonnet <laughs> published in 1818 by English poet Percy Bysshe Shelley. Wow. And, and, and he did say, Perch, I remember Percy Gilligan Bish saying Shelley? Shelley? that it was a Shelley sonnet entitled Ozymandias. Of course it is. The poem describes the colossal ruined statue of an ancient king in a barren desert. Uh-huh. Like the monuments of Egyptian pharaohs, Ozymandias is the Greek name for the Egyptian pharaoh Ramses II. Shelley was commenting on the foolish arrogance of tyrants who believe that their grandeur will never fade. Its line, look on my works, ye mighty and despair, is often put to use in other works, mighty and otherwise, to mock self-aggrandizement. So, ah, it all makes something sense. something that Walt is known for. Exactly, exactly. So... Ozymandian, you know, in context of, you know, describes something related to the poem, Ozzy, or the sonnet Ozymandias. And, and I think it was telling that that episode was in the desert, yeah. which Ozymandias is in the desert. And it was really a commentary on, okay, you, it was mocking Walt's power. And it was mocking the fact that you think you have all this power. Yeah, he has no and control you don't, over anything. Right. And it, the ultimate downfall that was caused by his own ego. Yeah. Which, so, so I thought that was... I, th I thought that was kind of a brilliant 
in retrospect, it was a great title for an episode mm-hmm. and um, a nice reference back to something that most people have never heard of before. Oh. But I guarantee you there were probably millions of English lit majors across the globe who watched mm-hmm. Breaking Bad that was like, oh, that's fantastic. Tony Hopkins was probably one of them. That's probably why Tony Hopkins was so excited. Let me tell you, Mr. Gillian, your title, Ozymandias. Do it. The way you co-opted Percy Bysshe Shelley's Ozymandias was the best thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, so so Ozymandias. That's now we now we know a little bit about you know what that means, how that informed Vince Gilligan's writing of that episode, presumably how Walt was you know was the tyrant, his own ego got in the way. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. I think that's all we got. All right. So. We'll see you again for uh, what's coming up next, episode 25. I think we go right to episode 42. Yeah, 42, right to 12. That's it. Back to nine. Back, add a nine to that, and it disappears. Hey, if it's episode 19, and then we take away the one, we're really just back at episode nine again. <laughs> Every episode is episode nine. If that's the way it is, man, because I've always been a bit of a mathematician. That's <laughs> right. Episode 10 of the ninth story is episode 10. <laughs> episode 10? No, Dan. You take away, it's episode one. That's, wow. Because it's 10 is one plus zero. It's one. Said the book from the three lock box that I found in a shed. <laughs> the dilapidated shed and <laughs> the door came off crawling. in my hands and son of a bitch, I can't drive 55. Because <laughs> I can just, I don't, I don't know. I can't picture Sammy Hager just being like, hey, this dilapidated shed, I'm going in. <laughs> You're a millionaire, but you're going into the... No, this was I like just a, found this shed. This Where was, was this shed? Was it in the middle of a desert? Dude. I'm going to call Sammy Hagar. But you know what? I just, you know, it just blew my mind. We should have him on the show. We and should. He can tell him. He can tell us. <laughs> I would love to. Sammy. What's the name of the book? Please. Sammy Hagar. If any of Sammy's people, any of his agents, anybody, any reps, anybody who knows Sammy Hagar... Yeah, give us a call. Give us a call. Shoot us a, shoot us an email at feedback at ninthstory.com. We just want to know the book so we can make fun of it a little bit more. Yeah, we just but. want to know the title. And if Sammy, you want to come on, you can you can talk about the number nine until you're blue in the face. <laughs> if you tilt your head to the left right. and squint, it's a nine. So for, so Sammy, give us a call. It's 206-666-4822. That's the ninth story phone number. Uh, leave us a message. If you add up all those numbers I'm in the wondering. phone number, it's nine. Two plus six is eight. Six, six, and six is 18, which is nine. Nine plus, what did I say? Eight is 17, which is eight. Plus eight is 16, which is seven. Plus four is 11, which is two. Plus two and two and two is six. It's an upside down nine. It's a nine. <laughs> it's a nine if you're upside down. Jimi Hendrix wrote a song, if six was nine, damn it, that's what it is. There you go. If six was nine, it'd be a nine, and it's a nine. So go ahead, give us a call, Sammy. We're waiting give for Give him your- that number again. One two- more time. 06-666-4822. I don't like that 666 all in a row. That's the dip. Hey, Vicky picked the number out. Well, Victoria picked it. It's not my choice. She's an imp. Give her a call. If you call that number, you can. She, she's on there. She's the one that, that uh, does the um, the intro. All right. So maybe we can have people call just to hear her say, thank you for calling the ninth story. There. There you go. All right, Sammy. Get some incentive. Sammy, give us a call. Would you please? We'd like to talk to you about the number nine. We would. Right, and you know what I just realized? Do you know, do you know when Ozymandias, the sonnet by Percy Bysshe Shelley, was written? The year nine? Eighteen, eighteen. One, eight, nine. One, eight, nine. Everything's a nine. And if you add nine to nine, it's 18. And what's that? One plus eight. It's nine. 
There are nines all over the place, Dan. You're fooling yourself if you don't realize that. You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast. A hicks and fabulous production. I broke it. One plus eight is nine. One plus eight is nine. Add it all up. What do you get? 16. <laughs> 55. <laughs> the number four. Which, you know, if you add five and five, which you can't drive, that's 10. And what's one less than 10? Nine. Nine. Right. Exactly. See? It's all nine. It all adds up. Right. And when you say somebody's all sixes and sevens, what's that? Um, 13. All- One plus three is four. That's nine. (laughs) That's right. It looks like a nine. (laughs)